Awesome. Well, good morning, everyone. Aren't you thankful to be in church this morning? Yeah. It's better than prison. <laughs> All right, good. Good. Well, we're so glad that you came this morning. Thank you so much for coming, coming out here and finding a parking spot. <laughs> thank you for walking those 400 meters, 500 meters, however long it was. But thank you. We, we surely do appreciate you coming. And it's not just so to take a seat. It's really for you to be part of what God is doing. And we're so thankful what God is doing through this body. And it's not just one or two people. It's the whole church. And so I'm just so thankful for a hungry church. There is nothing. We were bragging on you all a lot this week. And, you know, this past week, Jamie and I had the privilege of speaking at a conference in Manitoba. And it was great. Manitoba. I learned how to speak some Manitoban, eh? And it's just it's a, great, it's a great work out there. I learned some really cool words. Like, one of them, the things I really learned is that it's, when you say wicked deadly, that's, like, amazing. It's the new, like, oh, that's sick, or that's awesome. Oh, and the, the, way, the way the guy said it, man, that was wicked deadly. And I'm like, at first, I, oh, good, not good. I, I, it's wicked deadly. So if you're wanting to learn, if you're thinking, anybody from Manitoba in the, in the house is, oh, come on now. This, um, y'all are wicked deadly, I tell you, man. You guys, are, you guys are something else. Love that province. Love what God is doing. And uh, just so if you don't know, my name is Joel, and I have a beautiful wife named Jamie. We have four children, and us, that's it. We tapped out after four. And so those that went beyond, kudos, well done. But we are just so thankful to be called, and we've been pastoring this church. My parents planted this church in 1994, and at that time, I mean, I'm so thankful. It was a moose hall, and this is dancing floor. So if you're, like, wondering, man, I kind of felt something move, that's okay. That's, it's supposed to. The earth is supposed to move under your feet. And it's a, it's a great spot and so thankful for the heritage that we have just standing upon giant shoulders. And we're just so thankful to carry it to our generation as well. And so we've been doing this for five years, right? And you're happy with it still? No regrets? Okay, good. <laughs> and again, yeah, we're just, we just we love the Lord. We love what God is doing, which is building his church. And so, so thankful for a church family that loves the Lord. Like, if you're wondering, if you're new here or been here a couple times, you're kind of wondering what the church is. Where'd you all go? <laughs> you're, you're wondering what, there you are, hey, <laughs> you're wondering what, what the kind of church this is. Just so you know, this is a church that first and foremost loves the Lord. It loves Jesus, and because it loves Jesus so well and so much, it has love for one another. That's really where our love comes from, and this ain't fake, it ain't phony, because listen, you can smell phony from before you even walked in here. This is genuine God kind of love. It's agape, and so again, I'm so thankful to be part of this family. It is wonderful to raise your family, wonderful to bring your family, and if you had kids and you brought them downstairs, they are getting the word of God in its purest form this morning, and I'm thankful for that. The word, the word, the word. Amen. Now, let's go. Woo. So we've been going over the past about month or so now. The Lord has been stirring us up as a church family, learning to take our spot, learning to take our seat of authority that Jesus came and he purchased for us. It's not by our own merit, not how good we are, not, you know, if we, you know, over years we kind of get to this level of rank where we actually have a seat in God's presence. No, the moment you came into contact with Calvary or you came in contact with the cross is the moment that God gave you his authority on this earth. You got it. It had been given to you. So you will possess it of it this morning. Whether you realize it or not, it belongs to you. 
And we're going to go into that a little bit again this morning. And I want to just bring to our remembrance this, this, this word that we heard from 1980 from a gentleman named Kenneth E. Hagan. He was a prophet of God. We, go in, we would call him the olden days, but in case it be the 50s all the way up to 2003 when he passed away. Mightily used of God and just a tremendous man that operated and walked closely with the Lord. And he had a word in 1980 of the spring of 1980. And I want to just read this to you because how many know that God, he warned us 41 years ago about what was going to happen. This is a big deal. And so church is good for us to pay attention to these words. Of course, we have a more excellent word, the word of God, that you can reread this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's already written in there. But just a more confirming word, this came as well in uh, 1980. It says, the end of the age is coming upon this generation. The powers of darkness, the forces of evil are rampant as never before, and they will be increased in intensity and in velocity. And even many Christians will see and look upon these things, and they will say, oh, there is no use. Throw up their hands in futility and say, well, I guess it's all over. We'll just have to hold on and pray for Jesus to come shortly because the devil is about to take over everything. Not here at Impact. We ain't that bunch. Sorry for that bad English. We're not that bunch. But thus saith the Lord, in this day I am searching the body of Christ to enlist soldiers. I'll raise up a new band. I'll raise up a new army who will know how to pray against the powers of darkness and the light will dispel the darkness and the truth will set men free and prayer will break the bonds that bind men's minds and spirits and bodies. Glory to God. Yea, they are those who will learn to take their place hurriedly. It must be hurriedly. It must be. Quickly, now I'm, I'm reading it to you. When you hear the word of it, there's an urgency in this. There's this, oh, there's a people that will learn how to take their place hurriedly. It must be, it must be so. Just, I want you to hear it with that. I mean, I'm just kind of reading it to you. But there's an emphasis that the Spirit of God puts on it, that He is quickly training us up to learn this, that they will enter in quickly to stand against the forces of darkness and evil that will try to come against the land, against the church, against the home, and anything, and try to disrupt and destroy all that is good and all that God has endorsed. But the hand of the Lord is upon those who will listen, and to the urge of God in the Spirit, to those who are attentive, they will pray. The Spirit of God will help you to pray. Do not try to do this on your own. Though there must be labor on your part, yet at the same time rest in Him. Let the Spirit flow through you like a river, like a mighty wave. Let it flow through you. Give vent to those innermost groanings. Let them escape your lips. Take the time to get alone and wait. Sometimes not even saying anything, but on the inside of you there is an agonizing. There is a flowing out of your spirit by the Holy Spirit to the great spirit, the Father of spirits. And you will be sustained, you will be kept, and your family and your home will be sure and stand fast. And your children shall grow up strong and faithful in the Lord, and they shall have no fear. Now I speak that over this church. That's who we are. That's who we is. We're a group that is sold out to the Lord. And because of this, I truly believe that what is the Lord doing in this? Every time we gather, I believe the Lord has a plan. Don't you? I mean, we're not here just to check off a religious box and say, oh, I went to church, did my church thing, got my praise on, jumped a little bit, said a hallelujah, and then I went home. There's more to this. He is looking to enlist an army, and I believe God is calling people to this body. That's why you're here this morning, to look and enlist soldiers, because that's what we're here for. We're not here to play church. We're here to now be enlisted. God, get your eyes over here. See what you want to do. So I believe what the Lord has been doing over the course of this year and a half, really. 
I mean, since this whole COVID thing started in March of last year, it's been a wake-up call for the church. Yo, 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 I need to draw you in. I need you close. I need you to get in. And so what we're doing is, again, we're seeing a divide, a good division taking place in the body of Christ. And that are those that are sold out to him and his ways and those that are just kind of playing the game, wearing the title, looking like the part. But for us, we ain't just looking like the part. Y'all look good. But for us, it is a heart-to-heart relationship with him. We want him and we want to be involved in what he's doing on this earth. Amen? Awesome. Now, again, which I think is kind of neat that the Lord would actually even allow us to see these things. It's always good just to keep a thankful heart. Lord, I'm so thankful that I get to know what I know. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's so good that you keep the weight on that, that you just keep putting, oh, God, I'm thankful that I get, a, I get to see these truths from the Word of God. It's, that's a big deal to him because he knows you're going to honor it. He knows you're going to respect it. He knows that he's not just throwing, you know, pearls before swine. He knows that you're going to take it, grab hold of it, and start living it out in your life. That's a, that's a big deal to God. God doesn't just share secrets with anybody. Did you know that? Listen, in Psalm 103, verse 7, it talks about that the, Moses knew the ways of God, but the children of Israel knew his acts. What's the difference? Well, Israel saw the ten plagues and went, whoa. Moses knew the reason why. Moses knew the heart behind why God did what he did. The word unveiled, like it says that God revealed, it's basically God just did this with Moses. Hey, Moses, my friend, come here. I want to show you something. And he would just open it up. And that's why Moses, for 40 days and 40 nights, without food or drink, was on that mountain going, whoa. He got insight into the why God is, who God is, what is he like. And I'm so thankful that's what this church is dedicated for. It's not just to talk about what God can do. Thank God for that. But we want to know him intimately. I want to know him. I want to know why he does what he does. I want to know why he thinks. I want to know what he says. I want to know all about this creator that put the heavens and the earth together and he calls me friend. Ha! Are you kidding me? What an amazing opportunity we have. Now, let's get into this this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 17. We're going to just we're going to, um, read out these verses. Again, this is the prayer that the apostle prayed for the church in Ephesus. And aren't you thankful that it's not just limited to the church in Ephesus? This is a prayer that you as a Christian, a believer in Jesus, can pray for yourself. Right? In verse 17, it says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, I mean, just before all this, let me just stop here for a moment. The verses leading up to this, Paul says, because of I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for one another. That's it. Like, you notice this. A lot of times people hear, oh, you have faith in Jesus? Okay, we're done praying. Now, now you're good. You're good. I'll just move on. For you here, I mean, even as a church family, we are praying for you regularly. And what are we praying for? This right here. Because we know of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love that you have towards one another. What do we do? We ask that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ doesn't just stop there, it continues on. And what is he asking for? That the Father of glory may give unto you. Say me. me. I want it. You've got to be selfish on this part. I want this. More than anything else, more than, you know, a new house, a new car, I want this. More than anything, God, I'm asking you that you give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation in what? In the knowledge of him. And why is it so important, the knowledge of him? Because this is what the church is built on. The church is built on the revelation knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So this is what we're building on is the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. 
He is the Messiah. Can you say that together with me? Jesus is the Messiah. Now say it, make it personal. Jesus is my Messiah. He's my Christ. He's my anointed one. He's my Savior. And those words, no man can say unless the Spirit of God brings them in. So you being able to say that, that is a big deal. That scares hell and makes heaven go berserk in excitement. Woo! Jesus! And they go, yeah! All right. I'm not even read one verse yet. Okay. Continue on. Verse 18, then he goes on, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And notice these words. These, these words are so crucial that we get it because, again, a lot of the Christian world is looking for God to do something, looking for God to, you know, trying to get God to do something for them. But if you read this, I'm asking you that you would give me a spirit of wisdom revelation, the eyes of my understanding be enlightened, that I would know the riches of the glory of the inheritance. Where? In me. So rather than me trying to get something for God, the Christian life now is releasing what he already gave me. It's a totally different perspective. I'm not the sick trying to get well. I'm the healed and the devil's trying to put something on me. It's a totally different way of operating, total different way of thinking. And that's what Paul's praying. You've got to see this. Because from the Christian's perspective, God has already put us and placed us in victory and the devil's trying to pull you out of it. Not here. All right, continuing on, verse 19. And he says, What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in right, his right hand in the heavenly places, where far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet. Woo! And made him or gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who filleth all and all. Now, let's go back to verses 19 and 20. These two verses right here are the most powerful verses in the New Testament. And I want to just go over it real quickly again because this is crucial for our understanding. There are five Greek words that explain our one English word, power. We say power, and you can think of a bunch of different things. In Greek, there are five different words that express or explain power, and we have to see it because all five of them, well, yeah, five of them are in these two verses. And the reason why is because the Apostle God, again, the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul is trying to get something across to the church what God did. It's huge, and the church has got to wake up to the realization and to the fact of what Jesus has actually done. It's a bigger deal than you and I just not going to hell, and yeah, I'm forgiven. That's great, and thank God for it, but there's more to it than that. God used all of his power, and I'm going to get into that in a sec. The first word, again, we know to be dunamis. You've probably heard of that, and that word, in our English word, we get that word, dynamite, right? And what that means is it's, it's power that is stored up within something. Right? Dynamite, there's power inside of it till you light it, kaboom. Next, the second word for power is energia, where we get our English word energy, and it simply means outward power. Now, just to show the difference between these two, just for example, you know, let's just imagine a big buff guy kind of walks up here, works out real rip, real big, and we can look and say, he's got power. 
The Greek word we look at and we would use with that would be dunamis. It means there's some stored up muscle, stored up power in this guy. Now all of a sudden he walks over to this wall and he punches a hole in that wall. We go, yep, he's got power. What Greek word was used is energia. It is the expression of the dunamis he had on the inside of him is now being expressed in his punch going outward, putting a hole in our beautiful wall. So what is it? Energia is the display of dunamis. The third word is kratos. And that is the English word where we get democratic. And that's to simply to say this is the rule of the people. Fourth is istrus, which is the English word where we get for endowed power. Now, when a king defeats another king and takes his throne, there is already given to him a certain amount of power, endowed power, because of the position that he holds. Even if you were a boss of a company of some sort, just by you being the boss, there is already some sort of endowed power that you possess, right? And the last word uh, is called exousia, and that really is the word authority. So let's look again at Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. And it says this, what is the exceeding greatness of his power, dunamis, okay, to us word who believe, according to the working or energia of his mighty kratos, power, ischus. So all four Greek words. Paul was trying to find how on earth can I explain this to the church, what I'm seeing. Listen, because what, what Paul didn't just write these words, he actually saw it, this revelation. He saw what God did in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And if Paul saw it, guess what? God's got no favorites. He's allowing you to see it as well if you want it. But what Paul saw, he's going, man, there's all four of these words are in place. This makes this the most powerful verse in the New Testament because what is this verse telling us? Is that at one day in the universe, all of God's ruling power, all of God's inherent power was at one time and form, it was released in energy towards us. And what was that day? It was the day that God raised up Jesus from the dead. Now, I want you to look here for a moment. More power was displayed that one day than had ever been dis displayed before. Now, God's word tells us, and we see a lot of God's power, especially in regards to creation. So Psalm chapter 8 and verse 3, let's go look here. You can look on the screen if you want. But right here, we're going to see there's a finger of God. God's got some power in a finger. But it says this, when I look at the sky and see the work of your, the work of your fingers, what's in the sky? The moon and the stars you set in place. How did God create the moon and all the stars that we see? Just see it. Just do, 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 do. All right, and even Jesus talks about when he was casting out demons. And I don't have this on the screen, but Luke eleven twenty 20 says, But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come near to you. So we know God's got fingers, and there's some power in his fingers of when he does some work. The next thing that we see is that the work of God's hands. Now look at this in um, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 10. It says, You, Lord, in the beginning, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your, of your hands. So what we see God doing now in creating this earth, I mean, as far as we know, there is no other mountains, streams, oceans, rivers, you know, animal life, 
people on any other kind of planet, what we see is what God did here is he took more time in the creation of this planet than he did with anything else. And why did he do all that? To prepare it for his most treasured prize, which is men and women. That's why you see the work of his hands. And I'll just give you a couple other verses. Isaiah 48, 13 says, It was my hand that laid the foundation of the earth, my right hand that spread out the heavens above, and when I call out the stars, they all appear in form. Then look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8, talking again about the hand of God. And all the t- a lot of times, especially in the Old Testament, you see the hand of God being in reference to God releasing or setting free the Israelites from their bondage to Egypt. Let me just read this in Deuteronomy 7, 8. It says, that is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. What did God do through the 10 plagues? It was the hand of God that got Israel out. So now, do we have more power in our fingers or our hands? Hands. Have you ever done trying doing push-ups in your fingertips? Ow. But your hands got some more. Well, what we're going to see here is that now God, he actually also used his arm for something. Now, we've seen his fingers in place. We've seen his hands in place in the working and the developing of the world that we live in. But there had to be a time where God had to use all of his inherent power to get something back. And we find that in Isaiah chapter 53. So we're going to read this entire chapter. Don't worry, it's only 12 verses. We're going to read it all, and I want you to see this is the time where we see God's redemptive plan for mankind is seen in Isaiah 53, and it took God a lot more than just his fingers. It took God a lot more than just his hands. In fact, we're going to see this even in the first verse. It says this, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the Lord revealed his what? His powerful arm. So what we're going to read in these following verses, you're going to see the arm of God in manifestation for the redemption of mankind. (sighs) Okay, verse 2 says, My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. What's that basically saying? Jesus didn't come on this earth and look like a God. Okay, verse 3, he was despised and he was rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet, it was our weaknesses he carried. That word weaknesses in the Hebrew brings out the word sicknesses. It was our sicknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But, verse 5 says, he was pierced for what? Our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord, I'm so, I love these words. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was put or led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. 
He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many, many to be made or to be counted righteous for he will bear all their sin. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Ah, so what we see again is we see the finger of God created the heavens, the, arm, the hand of God established the earth, and then we have the arm of God which brought out our salvation. Not only did God just raise Jesus from the dead, and he didn't just raise him up, but he also brought me with him. God literally did something in this. And the reason why he had to use his arm, because when he was creating the heavens and when he was creating the earth, there was no opposition. Now that Jesus, this servant that we just read about, Jesus, went to hell, took on all of this, God had to fight back all the powers of the air, all those not only in this age, but also in the future generations and ages that were to come. There were already demons in generations and ages that were way there planning for the destruction and continual destruction of mankind. It goes not just beyond, you're in my life. This went for ages, ages, thousands and millions and billions of years that were yet to come. What would happen to all of us? We would be under the control of Satan. So when God reached his hand down into the grave and said, today you have become my son, he was fighting back every demon, every negative thing, every darkness that could come, every sickness and disease and sin and Satan itself to raise up his man Jesus from the dead. And he didn't just raise him up, he also raised us up with him. This is why it's a huge deal. So what did God literally do? Look at Colossians chapter 2 here for a moment. You're going to see what God literally did. It says this, this realm of death describes our former state. Okay, For we were held in sin's grasp. There we are, stuck in sin's grasp. No way out. Then he says, but now. Everybody say, but now. Oh, come on, y'all. But now. But now. We've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return, for we are forever alive. I'm forever alive. Say it, I'm forever alive, and I'm forever forgiven of all sin. This is what he did. And now look at this, verse 14. He canceled. Talk about cancel culture. Jesus did something about that. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and this old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all. Our sin, our stained souls, he deleted it all and they can never be retrieved. So how many of you have a screwed up past? All right, thank you for your honesty in church this morning. It's, that's a great place. Guess what? When the devil tries to bring that up, you tell him right here, it's actually deleted. It's been erased. You're trying to retrieve something, Satan, that doesn't actually exist anymore. 
but don't you know what you did? You know, what you even did last summer? It doesn't matter because it's been deleted. So you put the enemy back in his spot. You remind him what, he, what happened to it. Just read these verses to him. He'll run. And they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam, an addict, liar, depressed, fearful. You, you put it in there. Everything we once were in our identity to the fallen state has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. I love when God cancels culture. This, this cancels sin. He canceled the record of it all. Now look at this in verse 15. It doesn't stop there. Not only did he make that a public display, then he says, then Jesus, he made a public spectacle. What does it mean to make a public spectacle of somebody? Humiliate. It really means to humiliate. You don't think Jesus pokes fun at the devil? He does it all the time. Let's, you know what? We're going to have a parade for you, Satan. Let's do it. And he's made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness. And then by what? He stripped away from them every weapon and all. Say with me. All their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. It's stripped away. It's gone. Then, and by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners. I can just... <laughs> led them around as prisoners of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. <laughs> Don't you love the word? How clearly it lays that out. So what we have in front of us right here, Ephesians 1.19. Let me just read it to you again. The exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. And Isaiah 53.1, they go together. Isaiah 53, 1, it says this again, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord is the exceeding greatness of his power, and it is revealed to those who believe these report, to usward who believe. So to whom has the arm of the Lord, the power of God, been revealed? To usward who believe. So I don't know about you, but I'm not going to leave this planet Earth until not only I see, but I experience and I see this manifestation of power operate through my, my life. That's why I'm on this earth for. That's why God endowed it on his church to see it. It's not for us just to go, oh, that was really cool. That's really unique. No, it's for us to partake and use while we're on this earth. But again, it's to us word who believe. And this again, let me just slow down, Joel. We have received into our inner being the exceeding greatness of God's power. Let's say that together. I have received the exceeding greatness of God's power. I have it. Where is it? It's right here. It's in me right now. And the devil does not want you to know, let alone know. He doesn't want you to operate in it. He does not want the church to know this. But it's too late. God's waking up his church to see these things. Look at this verse in Romans chapter 8 verse 11. I use this verse. This, is, this can be your COVID verse. Whatever you want to call it. Any kind of disease. Here it is. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. And he who has raised Christ from the dead will also give life to this mortal body through his spirit who lives in you. So what's he doing to this flesh that you are, that you are operating in right now? He's quickening it, or he's causing it to be made alive. So what does that mean? Can't touch this. Now, that's not to say that we're going to live forever. But what I'm saying is sickness and disease is not going to take this temple out. 
What's going to happen to me? I'm going to live my full years. That I'm going to leave when I'm done my job on this earth. And then take me home. And let's have a party. I told my wife, if, if the Lord tarries is coming and if I go before you, first of all, no remarrying because this is it. <laughs> You're welcome. And then after that, Throw the biggest party. I have this one song that one of really good friends of ours in the States. It's called You Make Me Come Alive. That, it's, it's a real rock. And wow, you make me come alive. Kind of a, a screamo part in there too. That's the funeral song. You make me come alive. All right. Now you all know my wish. So make sure if the Lord tarries is coming, then that's all right. But I didn't plan on going anywhere. Now, not only, again, as we said, that did... Did God deal with the sin and sickness? He also raised up the body of Christ. And so here's the thing. We have to believe it. Now, again, belief does not just mean mental assent. Oh, I believe that. Belief, and you know, there's a, I want to just show you these, these two words. This uh, Anglo-Saxon, anybody ever heard of that? This It's actually from England, you know, back in the Middle Ages. They took this word belief and they broke it down into two different words. The word be, which means to live, and life in which we would say, you know, to believe. Life in is a second word, and it means in accordance. So when I believe something, it means this, to live in accordance with. So that's what believing is. Believing doesn't just mean, oh, I believe that, and never see it carried out or never live it out in my life. When I believe something, I live it out in my life. This is the belief that we see in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. To usward who believe. Now, I, I believe this. I got... I was prepping a couple different messages. I was ready for next week's message, and this is crucial. We're going to talk about this seat, and it even has a reserve sign. This is my seat. This spot, there's something about it. To get to that seat, I must believe. What keeps me in this seat is humility. This is what keeps me here. Now, I want us just to get this picture because the enemy is doing everything he can to get me to vacate this seat because the moment I'm out of this seat... I'm open to attack. There's no authority. But the moment I stay here, now he's in trouble. So we're going to talk about that next week a little bit. But I was already ready to go for that one, but not there yet. So let's go back to this, the word belief. If I truly believe, if I believe means to live in accordance with, if I believe, everybody got one of those sheets we handed out two weeks ago? If I truly believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and I was raised along with him, what is my belief? What do I do? I have to respond to that. And this is what we said. Lord, I accept your gracious word. I believe what you have done for me. And in humble faith, I do now take my seat. This is me living it out. I take my seat in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus at your right hand. Teach me, Lord, how to fulfill this sacred ministry, how to exercise the authority which you have entrusted to me. Train me day by day that I may attain to the full stature of the perfect man in Christ so that in me your purpose of the ages may be fulfilled. Amen. This is where I sit. So I have to take this spot. I literally have to take it. This is mine. <laughs> reserved. It's mine. Well, yours got a reserved name on it too. This is my seat. This is how I operate from. Now, it's mine to take. It's mine to occupy, and it's mine to explore the realities of heaven. I've actually been, I've been, I just, I practiced it this week. As I literally took my chair, and I sat in it, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm taking my seat now. 
And in there, I would just, I, I mean, I, I would pray. I would do, do my things that I would do, and which is, you know, I plead the blood of Jesus over my family, my belongings, the church. No access, devil. And it's not like I'm talking them eye to eye. I'm doing this. No, you can't touch that boundary. This is my property. You do not even think about touching this property right here. This beautiful car right here, don't touch it. I do that. And when we even to, when we went to when we were driving to Manitoba, <laughs> I don't think I could ever say it properly again. That's that is the proper way. But even doing that, it they had a snowstorm uh, the day the day that before we left and the day we were leaving there was a snowstorm, and so while we're sitting in the car, what did we do before we got in there? We took our seat, and we said in the name of Jesus. Now this car. And of course, you got to be led by the Spirit of God because we prayed. We said, Lord, are we, do we go? Like if with these roads, do we go? Oh, just claim Psalm 91 and you'll be fine. That's not how this works. You have to be led by the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God says, stay, Psalm 91 worked. Right? It's not me just, oh, I'm going to just tough it out. That's called testing the Lord. That don't work. So what I do, Lord, do you want us to go? Yes, we go. Okay, we go in. So in that time, okay, Lord, we take our seat. And around this beautiful white Buick enclave that we rented for this trip, in Jesus' name, from door to door, side to side, you cannot touch anything. No car touches us. We touch no car. This is how this is going to work. We are spared the entire time. Now people kind of go, oh, yeah, just, you're just driving. You don't know what we were saved from. What could have been happening? What kind of drivers could be on that road? You don't know that. So what do we do? Thank you, Lord. When we get there, Lord, thank you for your protection over us. I'm so thankful. You got there and back. No problem. Now, other than a few bathroom breaks and all that kind of stuff. Now, should have taken our authority over that. Bowel movements in the name of Jesus. <laughs> you can't do that. I'm just, I'm just playing with you. I'm just playing with you. Because there's some weird folk out there that will just actually, you know, claim their authority over somebody else's bowel movements. That don't work. <laughs> And we're going to get into that because, listen, the, the reason why I just made that statement, because to believe is my access to this chair. Humility is how I stay there. This humility, and what, what that all is about is I don't assume. Humility always asks. Humility always seeks for the answer, seeks what to say. Because from here, I can't operate and all of a sudden start using my authority on some of y'all. That don't work. That's called Witchcraft. And if I, I can't use this seat to manipulate, to try to get anybody to do anything. Right here, it's power and authority over the demonic forces and evil of this world. Not people ever. Ever. No, don't, you would read the command in Genesis. God says to have dominion over the earth, over the animals. You never see God tell Adam and Eve to have dominion over each other, dominion over other people. That is not godly. It's King Jesus. He's in charge. He's the, he's the leader of this whole thing, not people. So the moment that you start seeing people rising and using their place or authority to bring somebody down or to hurt in any kind of way, that's wrong. Hence what we're seeing. It's wrong. Now, continuing on here for a moment, let's turn to Colossians chapter 3 because, again, from this seat, like I really, for myself, I've been... Reminding myself day by day of my spot. And throughout the day, I'll remind myself, you're, in your, you're sitting now. Even though I may be walking around doing different things, I'm sitting now. I'm in my place of sitting. 
Physically, naturally speaking, yes, I'm here. But spiritually speaking, I'm sitting with him. So it's good. This is where the mind renewal or the training has to come in for us as a church. Because this is how God starts to have access with the body. Remember, again, the head is unable to do what the head wants to do unless a body is aligned with it. Right? So what we need to constantly remind ourselves of body parts. I'm talking to us body parts this morning. Right? What the head wants to do. We have to be in line with it. And part of it is, is just realizing or recognizing that every single day, moment by moment, I'm sitting in that chair. When I'm driving to a store, Lord, I'm in my spot. Nothing comes in, comes in effective here. No, 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 it stops here. Lord, is there anything you want me to do from this position while I'm in this store? If we start thinking this way, rather than reacting to what's going around, no, no, I take charge. When I walk into a room, I take charge of it. Why? Because I'm sitting. This is just how we have to retrain ourselves. And again, a lot comes with this. I mean, with humility and seeing how God uses you in this spot, what comes on you? Boldness. <laughs> oh, here's this bold roar that comes out of you and you go, people think it's arrogant. People think, what's wrong with you? Full of pride. No, 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 no. It's confidence because I'm sitting in humble faith towards my king and master. So people call what they may, but it's confidence that you have because you're in your spot. So people may not like you, do it anyway. You're going to save their life. You're going to be saving a whole lot of different things. Take your spot. This is, I can't emphasize enough. This seat is where everything happens. The whole, center, the whole kingdom of God is centered around this throne. Now, let's look here in Colossians for a moment. Colossians, again, the Holy Spirit is telling this church, telling us as a church, since you have been raised to a new life with Christ. The Passion Bible says it like this, Christ's resurrection has become your resurrection too. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. I love those words. It's His, whatever He's got. Come on, y'all. Whatever He has, I have. As He is, so are we. Where? In this world. That's 1 John four seventeen. As he is, when I see him, that's, it. that's why, again, it's so crucial when we read the Gospels, don't identify yourself with the people that are always in need of things. Sure, you may have need of some things. Well, go get your needs met. It's already met according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You get them met. But we need to start identifying as Jesus in the stories. Oh, that's heresy. No, it's Gospel. God didn't just save you so that you could just, okay, God, like, I'm not going to hell. Yay, yay, that's all good. And just live this normal life. Again, this thought that people have is that I'm a, I'm a natural being sent here looking for a supernatural experience. Flip it around. No, you are a spiritual being temporarily sent here for a humanistic experience. I'm a spirit. So when I see Jesus, I'm actually supposed to be seeing me. Jesus is not just an example for you. He's an example of you. When I see what he did, when I see how he operated, he says, the works that I do, you shall do also. Oh, how? Because he's going to the Father. That's how he wants us to operate. Jesus is very confident in himself. He, he shared the power. He gave the authority. He wants us to use it. So what do we do? Sir, yes, sir. How do I use it? Take that seat. I believe it. So if you're not at that place yet that you quite believe it, what do you do? You build your faith. You build it up. You build it up. How? Read Ephesians 1 over and over and over and over. Until when? Until you get it. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. I haven't gotten it all yet, but I do. What I am a little bit of seeing going, oh, this spot is everything. Ah, yes. oh, hallelujah. Oh, 
It's exciting. It gets exhilarating. And then you won't even find out there's rooms up there. Spiritually speaking, there's rooms. Oh, where, where did I go in there? There's some of you that just, you've prayed the same way over and over again. You've got to get to the seat and let God show you the, the, the expansion of the spirit world. There's so much into this. What do you got to do? It's in that seat. It's in that spot. And this is why since you have been raised to new life with Christ, he's saying set your sights. Anybody ever use that in the term? Maybe you're getting a goal for your own self. I'm setting my sight. This is what I'm going to accomplish. This is what I'm going to see. This is what I'm becoming this year. Anybody ever do that? Okay, there's a few of us that do that. What are you doing? You're setting yourself. You're, you're putting yourself in a place that you can see the end result. Well, what the, again, the Spirit of God is telling us, set your sights. Get them set on what? On the realities of heaven. We know way too much more about our natural political world than we do the sights of heaven. What's he doing there? And we kind of go, God, if you could just do something, that'd be great. No, he's waiting for you to see it so that you can see it and release it. You're here not to just follow suit and just do what everybody else is doing. We're here to be the change agents of a culture. How do we change culture? We have to see another one to establish a new one. So you and I, from this seat, God is showing us things. He's revealing things to us. But what do we do? I remind myself daily that I'm in that spot. And just like what Brother Hagin's word was, I just sometimes just even sitting there, not even saying anything, God, show me. What are you doing? What do I need to see right now? Our Lord, over red deer. I'm, and again, you're not looking from this looking up. You're looking at going, God, show me red deer. What does red deer need? And now you're looking over all this beautiful city. You're seeing it all. And okay, God, what, what needs to take place? And that's when God can start using us. Because he says, yeah, you, this is how I see red deer. This is what I'm speaking over this, 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 this uh, province and nation. This is what I want to do. Okay, God, so from here, I now release. I release it. How? With my words, with my faith. God, Red Deer has got free access for your word to have full course from our political realm to the schools and education. Father, in Jesus' name, I just speak that over that. Every school that there's access, the gospel's got access to all these different schools. Father, raise up these teachers, these, these men and women of God. These, raise them up, Lord. Be bold down there. Be bold. See, now you start operating from that spot. No, you be bold, Notre Dame. No, be bold, teacher. You, you, come on, you, you can do it. You got this. What are you doing? I'm surrounding now with strength. I'm adding my supply of help. That's how we function. Now, he's saying set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 2 says this, think about the things of heaven and not the things on this earth. Well, there goes my afternoon. I was going to think on the things of the earth. And what Facebook keeps us apprised of is the thing that's happening in the earth. Again, nothing wrong with understanding and having an understanding. Okay, this is what's going on. But he's telling me, I have to think about the things of heaven. How is God viewing this world right now, and particularly our city, our province, our nation? God, how are you viewing this at this moment? Rather than just hearing all the experts, God... What do you see? What are you saying? Let God give you the news. He'll give you news that before it even happens. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> no, that's really cool. Really cool. He tells you stuff that's going to happen before it even happens. Now we're talking. Now that's news we're paying attention to. Now, 
Then verse 3, it says, for you have died to this life. And I think that is, again, another realization that we, the church, have to, again, realize. I've died to this life. And now my real life, say it with me, real life, is where it is hidden with Christ in God. Now, why is that so important? Verse 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, and in this particular case, to the whole world, you will share in his glory. Or from this seat, when you see who Jesus is, when Christ is revealed, you get a glimpse of who you are. Now, this seat, this was also in the Old Testament as well. Remember when Moses in Exodus chapter something, Moses cried out, God, show me your glory. What did God tell him? He said, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll show you something. But what I got to do is I got to put you in a piece of a rock. I got to put you somewhere so that you can see when I pass by you. That symbolizes Christ. When God raised him up and put him on the cliff of this rock, he says, yeah, I'm going to walk past you and you'll see it. What is that spot? It's the right hand of the Father. Moses was put in a position, again, that was in no more of a natural sense, but it was symbolic for the position that the church is supposed to hold, is this spot. So it's all the way through the Old Testament. That's where these men and women of God that did something for God, they saw something about this seat. I remember even hearing this over my own self. I had a few personal words that came to me from different ministers. And they said, Joel, there's a spot for you that you got to take. Only you can take it. It's only yours. You have got to go after it. And they said, once a minister gets in there, he is forever changed. And the first thing that changes, even naturally speaking, is the look in their eyes. I went, oh, okay. i got to learn about this spot. Teach me about this spot. Because when somebody comes in contact with the power and the authority that is in this spot, you are forever changed. No longer just living life on this mundane, going through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. No, no, no. You start operating from a different level. And rather than just reacting to everything that's going on, you are now responding in faith to what God says and making the changes in your city. That's who we are. This is why this church exists. Ah, I see it, God. God told us it's going to be a glory center. Oh, okay. Glory center. Glory center. What, what does that mean? Take your seat. Let's find out. What is the glory center? What, is it, what does it God want to do? He wants to pour out. He wants to have complete access. He needs access to the city of Red Deer. Guess where he's going to get it? This spot right here. Sure, he may use other church. I'm not talking about any other church. I'm talking about what we've dedicated ourselves to as God. What do you, you want to do something in the city? Let it be right here. Oh, don't you need to have 2,000 people in order to do that? No. Four will do. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. What do we need? Two or three that are just sold out to this. And it says the whole world, because of the, the disciples in Acts 17, this whole group of people have turned the world upside down. It's all it takes. A few people that understand and see this spot can change this whole thing. Now, continuing on here. He says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. There's another translation paraphrase, I believe. Um, the red mirror. It's called the Mirror Bible. And the Mirror Bible in this verse, it says, relocate yourselves mentally. It's a relocation that has to take place. If my brain is, if all my mind is constantly thinking on just the natural things, he's telling us, relocate it. Come on, say it. Relocate. Sometimes you need a relocation. Because when you relocate your mind, same way how you do it even naturally speaking, I know for myself, I hate being squeezed in. I hate it. I hate being molded. You got to do this. You got to do that. You're stuck in this spot. I hate it. So what do I need to do? I got to just get out for a little bit. Oh, okay. I can, I, so relocating myself. Anybody find when you leave Red Deer once in a while, you just go to Canmore just to smell a mountain. Oh, life just seems to make sense again. 
just by, just by getting out. Well, the same way, when all the pressure of the world keeps coming, what do I got to do? I have got to relocate myself mentally. How do I do that? Not just trying to, again, find myself somewhere out there. I'm just going to take three to six months or a year or five years just to find myself. Well, don't. You know why? You'll be disappointed. Because what will you find? You. <laughs> Apart from Jesus, we are nothing. Without him, we have nothing. We can't do anything. But hey, if you're going for a little journey to go with the Lord, go for it. You'll be blessed. You'll find out who Jesus is, and then you'll find out who you are. But if you go to find yourself, you are going to be sorely disappointed. How was your trip? Sucked. What happened? I found myself. (laughs) And then you realize, you go on vacation, and how come I'm still miserable? Because wherever you go, you take you with you. Here I am in Mexico, just everything's just... What's wrong? How was your trip? Sucked. Why? Because I was with myself. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's the whole point. Okay, moving along. i got to finish up here. Now, right here what we're talking about, this is the beginning of our cooperating with Jesus as the head of the church. And this last verse I want to show you, Romans chapter 8. Again, just to show us the mindset. When he says, set your sights relocate yourselves mentally. There's a reason why. It's a big deal why. In verse, uh, Romans 8, verse 6, it says, For the mind set, or you set your mind the same way that you set an alarm clock, when you set your mind on the flesh, what is it? It's death. Now, let me just clarify. When you set your mind on the flesh, what does that mean? That doesn't just mean sinful things. The flesh just means natural or carnal. If you set your mind on things that are always natural, I have to do this, I gotta do that, I gotta grocery this, I gotta grow, always da 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 just living life and that's it, it leads to death. And what is that death? That doesn't just mean you're gonna die right off the bat, but what it means, it leads to depression, it leads to anxiety, anything that would actually kill your soul or even your physical being. You're setting your mind on it. What does it do? I'm, I'm just drained. I'm just exhausted. What's going on? Well, I got this, this, this. No, no, no. Where's your mind? Because a mind that is set on all these things, that the road equals death. It's death avenue. I didn't write this. This is the Spirit of God telling us. Then he says, but the mind that is set or the mindset that is controlled by the Spirit, guess what it finds? Life and peace. Why is this world miserable? Because it's carnal. Why, are the church, why is the church miserable? Because it's carnal. Everything has to be show. Oh, we got to have a good, people got to be doing this. We got to make sure that this sounds, and there's nothing wrong with having the cosmetics and making look good, sound good. I'm all for that, but not first. First is presence. Everything else is secondary. It don't matter. If the Jesus isn't here, neither do I want to be here. He's not in this church, me neither. I want him. So again, if we just constantly fill our mind to, well, you know, people like this, or they want, we got to do this to, to attract and to bring in. If what you win people with is what you win them to. So if you're going to win them with lights, guess how you got to keep them? Lights. But if you win them with the word, now Jesus has something we can work with. That's the same way how we're raising our kids. How are our kids knowing Jesus? We show them the Lord. This is who he is. We win them to the Lord. How do we keep him? The Lord will. 
That's not my job. My job is to continue to show and to reveal the character of God. Now, but the mindset that is controlled by the Spirit finds life and peace. I don't want you, but I want life and peace. So what I got to do, I have to set my mind. All of a sudden it starts going down a rabbit trail. No, 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 no. Not going to go right over here. Oh, I'm going to just stay in my spot. Lord, I'm so thankful for my spot. And all of a sudden I hear some kind of stupid news report and I tries to get me out of my spot. Are you kidding me? These people are insane. What's happening? Death. I'm sitting, I'm sitting, I'm happy, I'm sitting. There's my joy, there's my peace. Hallelujah. Stay here. Stay here. Oh, but did you hear what they said? I just want to reply back to them so bad. Can I take my seat? Sit. This is John 15. Abide. Sit. Good Christian. Sit down, sit down. But Lord, you have no idea. I want to tell you what they said. No, 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 no. Stay seated. This is my spot. (laughs) Okay. You know what? This is good. All right. In fact, he says, the mind set focused on the flesh. Now notice what it does. It fights God's plan. Can Christians actually be fighting the plan of God? Yeah. How? Mindset is off. They're thinking only natural, and they cannot see. They can't submit to his direction because it can't. They're thinking just carnal. And verse 8, it says, no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by the flesh. Now, that's not saying no neglect. I'm not you know, I'm buying ever groceries ever again. You're on your own. That's not what he's saying. You have to do the natural things. But he's saying even while you're doing that, don't let these things control your mindset. Don't let these things so in that you forgot you got a spot. That this is your place of joy. My kids are going crazy this morning. Sit. (laughs) This is where I got to sit. I have to stay here so I can parent. Moving right along. Last verse is this. But when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh but by the Spirit. And if you are not joined to the Spirit of the Anointed One, you are not of Him. So the whole premise in all this, I'm finishing up, sweetheart, if you want to come. The whole premise to all this is we have got to relocate our, mi- our minds and keep them there. Set my mind on things above and keep it set. Because again, you know that phrase a lot of people do, if you're so you know, heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Not true. The more heavenly minded the church can be, the more earthly good we can do. Why? Because now I have God's perspective. I have God's word. I have God's thoughts on this situation. And when I start to think like him, everything changes. Amen. So, Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness this morning. Lord, we just acknowledge as a church family to teach us again. Father, we believe that you are moving us, positioning us to be used by you in these last days. So, Father, we just humbly submit ourselves to you. Thank you that your word is true, that you're watching over it to perform it in our lives. We give you the glory.